we're in an industry boat like finances, it's very intimidating. And it brings up a lot of emotions. Oh, I don't have enough. I should have more or I'm not smart or I have questions. I feel stupid. And uh, it's up to us to, to educate and stories are fantastic. And personal experience is even stronger. Let's actually start with the emotion first and work our way into educating into the technical part of, of what we need to do. And it's a progress. It's a relationship. It's sitting across from somebody and it respecting that person across from you. When someone comes and we're going to invest their money, I actually have a visual in my head that all their money is in this box. It's a gift box and there's a great big bow on it. And they're passing this over to me very gently. And this is their entire world right here. This is their, their past, their present, their future. This is their goals and dreams. And I am now honored to take care of that. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. Zena Amundsen wants you to know that money is emotional. One of the emotions often associated with money is fear. That's what Zena felt when she separated from her husband for two years with two small children and absolutely no knowledge of personal finance. It was during that time that she decided to stop worrying about money and start learning about it instead. Today, she's a certified financial planner, certified divorce financial analyst, and a certified cash flow specialist. She's got the financial knowledge, but that's only part of it. Personal finance isn't just about graphs and rates of return. Money is emotional, but we don't talk about it that way. Realizing the current financial education system is lacking, Zena decided to write a book called The Heart of Your Money, specifically to empower Canadian women to build a healthy relationship with money. Zena joined me from Regina, Saskatchewan to tell her personal finance story. Well, my first money memory, it is very clear and it comes in the sense of a memory of a smell. I don't know if that happens to you, but you, you know, it takes you back. And for me, it is shopping at the Salvation Army. My mom was a single poor mom and all our back to school clothing. And I would have been probably about four or five, I think is is how old I was. We had to shop at the Salvation Army, and mine is the smell of used shoes. It still haunts me today. And I knew then that, okay, we couldn't afford the new things. You know, you go to school, and the light-up runners was the big thing that I can remember, and I we couldn't afford them. And so that's my first memory of not having enough. What do used shoes uh, smell like? <laughs> you know, pretty musty, pretty stank, and... It's the classic, if you were to think of when you go bowling and, and at least they spray the shoes. Now, yeah. if they didn't spray the shoes. Oh, not at the Salvation this. Army. They don't, they don't do the, any spraying. No, and, and I do have a memory of cigarette smoke because, you know, I am talking about late 1970s sure. and smoking was still around. And so that musty smell, old things in a box sitting around for a while. And I, I, it has haunted me. And I'll be honest, I have a shoe problem today. Like and you, you only buy, buy new shoes. Yeah, I've been able to link that. I have, we're talking right now, and I literally 
have a pile of shoes next to my desk right now. Like they don't even fit some of them. I don't even wear them. I've, I've been able though to figure out where that comes from. And there's definitely a correlation with my very first memory of money and it's not having enough for shoes. That's fascinating. And and first of all, I think it's the first money memory. That's a smell uh, that I, (laughs) that we've had on the show. (laughs) Uh, but also that's, uh, that's really good that you've been able to figure out that, that, yeah, I mean, you know, when people say, oh, I'm bad with money or I, I just, I like buying shoes. It's interesting to hear that you have a direct uh, correlation to, uh, early memories. Wow. Yeah. And it actually sparks more. So that was my first one. Cause I mean, you don't think about it too much. And then I have a few other memories of, I, in talking to my mom, you know, for that short time, she was a single mom. And then when I was eight, we met my stepdad and life totally changed. Like, you know, an abundance then happened and you realize that now you have things, but so it took a while for me to remember because I do it because I forget because you forget the hard times when you step into good times. And those hard times were my mom and I, I, the energy bill got cut, but the power was still on and we were renting this house and it would have been around the same time to stay warm we had to turn on the stove you know i can't exactly remember i haven't talked to her too much about the whys of it but we turned on the stove in the winter and uh slept in the kitchen to stay warm oh wow and i've had this really interesting from going from scarcity and, and and not having enough to through middle years and then into high school realizing that we did have enough so there's this bizarre split personality but the one that stuck through to adulthood is scarcity yeah. and, and fear. And, and that one has definitely stuck with me. So that, that, um, scarcity feeling that dictates or did dictate or in or your early adult life, um, how you spent money or saved money. It kind of stuck with me and I had pushed it aside until, uh, you know, that pivotal moment in life. And it happened as, as a adult after having two children, my husband and I had separated and I was a stay-at-home mom. I didn't finish university. I was a young mom. I'm going way back. And that scarcity really kicked in that moment that he left. Mm. And um, I, I had no money. And that is when it hit and crashed. And the scarcity kicked in the most. All the memories of not having anything really kicked in. And that was part of my journey of where I am today and what I do for a living. And it, it was flipping that scarcity feeling into action. Yeah. So basically history is repeating itself. I mean, except, uh, wait, did you have any siblings? No, uh, so, only child. So yeah. you're only child. So your mom had, had one mouth to feed, but now you're almost in the same situation as your mom with two mouths to feed. And then you have mm-hmm. this memory of what it was like. Oh, that sounds really terrible. It is. Imagine the fetal position on the kitchen floor that moment when it happened. And that's when all the memories start flooding. Until then, I had no relationship with money. I hadn't even thought about it because I'd gone into this forgetting the scarcity and then marrying. Uh, I was I was very young. So at 21, got mm. engaged and married. At 22, wrote my last university final. I didn't finish university, but I was writing that last final that semester, nine months pregnant in the, in the university gym. Wow. <laughs> expecting, my, yeah, expecting my first baby. 
And after that, I never went back. It took until uh, I was 30 something years old and peeling myself off the kitchen floor to go back to university. It was out of necessity of, you know, my husband had left. I had stayed home. I had zero financial identity. I didn't even have a bank account in my own name because why? I didn't need to. I never had any thought about money or finances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there's a real 360 that happens when you're lying on the kitchen floor and you realize I, I can't even get the telephone in my name right now. How am I going to feed my two babies? And I want to get back to that. I want to rejoin at the, uh, how am I going to feed my babies? But I want to uh, figure out also how you like, you know, paid for stuff before this or how do you paid for school and how like, I guess your stepdad was well off then? He, he was a pipeline welder and he worked his butt off. Okay. And um, my, my mom, she worked casual for the city and I'm so proud of her. She, at the age of 60 and retiring, she was still filling in, uh, her last day was filling in the potholes in the city wearing uh, steel-toed boots wow. at age 60. She was one of the first female uh, full-time, she got on full-time eventually, road crew workers for the city. That's amazing. Yeah, she worked real hard, but she still lived through a scarcity mindset. Even after my stepfather coming in and and making great money, he paid cash for everything. He -hmm. built a home. It took a couple years, but you know, as he had cash, he would build it. I was 16. I had a vehicle to drive. I was given that vehicle. Nice. Uh, They, they paid for my university classes. So there was a real sense of during that time of still having these memories small not brought up front of scarcity but yet you're given these things and so it was bizarre to hear my mom say that you know she's still short of money and she'll put it on the credit card but yet we were living in a new home I had a car to drive and so there's a real disconnect with money that I never respected or I never really learned the value of money because it was first it was there wasn't any and then there was some so there was no in between of of learning and nobody talked about it nobody taught you anything that's probably it right there just wasn't a discussion about it you didn't know what questions to ask or what you didn't know or you don't know what you don't know right And and you're at the university and they they put a table up and they say hey do you want your first credit card and i'm like Heck yeah, of course they do. So you did. Back then, you did that. Yeah, you got you, you got a five hundred dollar balance mm-hmm. uh, right away, and within three days, I had maxed that credit card uh. I bought. And I can I do remember I bought a tent, I bought a J Crew sweater, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think I bought a sleeping bag. And you can tell where my priorities were. Uh, really. Camping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was cold, probably. Credit. Yeah. And I, I owed on that credit card until I met my um, husband and wow. then he paid it off or we paid it off together. And then we started married life and had babies and he had a, a full-time job. He had finished university and he had a full-time job and we just lived life. And I was in complete, um, I guess you call it kind of bliss, right? Uh, you're in love and it doesn't matter if you're kind yeah, of broke. Wedded bliss, yeah. Him... Yeah, exactly. And we had family. I mean, we were so young. He, uh, he's four years older than me, but I was so young. that. And then jumping into parenthood with babies that there was no question I would just stay home. Uh, university wasn't a big push. And yet what's interesting is 
I knew the struggles of my mom being a single mom mm-hmm. and, and my, my parents still wanted me to be independent and were kind of pushing me to finish university. And I knew in the back of my head that I shouldn't be just giving up this independence of at least having a plan B, right? But you just kind of get drawn into it and then life begins and you don't even think about it. And I never had the awareness of someone saying, you know, if something happens, you're really hooped. (laughs) You need to have a plan B. You need to figure something out. Mm -hmm. Even right down to, and this is what I tell people, even right down to just having your own bank account. Well, that I'm, I'm, I'm a little surprised that, uh, like your parents wanted you to, you know, have things that they didn't, but they seem to be taking care of it for you instead of like giving you the resources to, to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's almost, you know, it's not tough love, but there's things that we need to do as parents and boundaries. Mm -hmm. And, um, the easy thing is to just kind of give and, and I'm learning through my two, my daughters now today are 21 and 19 and there's lessons in there and it takes a little bit of effort and and forethought, but I, I really work at trying to give those lessons in there and those opportunities because if we just keep on moseying along I mean this is what happened to me I just I knew it in the back of my head I should probably you know take care of myself financially in some way or protection or at least plan b of life not you know I always say it's not that you're you're planning for the demise of anything you're just being smart and I missed that along the way and so I had a wake-up call and that was a serious true uh, moment that brought back all those memories of starting out in life with nothing. You're newly separated and you don't have a job. Do you have any income mm-hmm. coming in for you? Zero at that time. I had, while we were married a couple of years before that, I had done, I think it's the beginning of my finance career in a weird way, but I had done okay. a little bit of bookkeeping. And the bookkeeping part kind of steered me that when I didn't have a job and I had zero income, I mean, I was claiming, I was a de- according to CRA and taxes, sure, yeah. I, I had zero income. And when I realized I had to go find a job, okay, well, I had a little bit of bookkeeping money experience. And so that was sort of the the draw and it just happened to work out really, really well for me and of interest uh, for me because I was in a, a, a dire straits that I had to learn it. And so I better enjoy it along the way. And then when you get good at something, you s- swim with the current rather than against it and that's how I kind of got into financial planning. Mm-hmm. So the the bookkeeping told you that you're you're you like numbers at least, or you you can work with mm-hmm. them. And uh, but you didn't go and say I want to become a professional bookkeeper. You went. Uh, who did you go to see, or like what, what did, you, did you apply for jobs? Did you apply for? Uh... Yeah. So I had to apply for jobs really quickly uh, because like I had to call. We were separated. For two years and at the very very beginning I had to call my husband and and he had an apartment and I had to call him over and say you know they won't even put the utilities in my name I don't have a job I don't have a, a income like I can't even show them a yeah, pay you stub you can't so, you have a credit uh, score report exactly mm. so he had to I had to call him over he had to get on the phone give give approval oh, and that sounds terrible uh, kind of yeah, kind of be the co-signer. And it was then the very next day, that's when I was like, yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm getting a job ASAP. I need a job. Mm. And I hit the pavement and that first job happened to be at a mutual fund company. Okay. Because in my brain, it was, well, this is still kind of like money, right? Finance money. Yep. I, I, 
I liked the money part of bookkeeping and the tracking. So (laughs) I I thought there's got to be some sort of similarity. Well, (laughs) I don't know much about if there was a similarity in the beginning because I ended up being uh, a scanner. (laughs) So I stayed in the basement for eight months scanning documents. Wow. Okay. And actually it was it was the spark of more intrigue because you're getting all the paperwork. You're so I do remember. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember reading, okay, well, why are there wills coming across? Here, <laughs> right. And then you see something. And now that I know what it's called, it's, it's called the know your client form, but really it's just all their information. Yeah, KYC. So, yeah. Yes, exactly. And so I'm seeing like, oh, wow, they make this much, but look, there's a liability and a loan and what's their risk tolerance. And so before I knew anything, I was getting all this information that was just kind of intriguing. What an interesting way to get an education uh, in in terms (laughs) of like just how this works and and just examining other people's uh, personal finance uh, situations. Yeah. And I'm creating stories in my head, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm getting these stories coming across. And then, you know, that, that lasted two or three months because there's an ambition that has to happen really quickly when yeah. you need to make money and feed some mouths. So then I moved up and then I got into what was called advisor services. So I started to learn more and more. And I was the one on the other end of the phone, you know, helping the advisors calling in and, and needing answers, questions, and, you know, statements and client questions. And so that was also, I think what sparked was that I don't want to be the person on the phone. I want to be out there hearing stories in front of people and giving solutions. Mm-hmm. And it was then that I started that uh, journey. You probably hear this when you talk to a lot of people, but there's a pivotal moment of when a mentor comes in and when somebody really guides you through. And I had that opportunity that I met the most amazing mentor. He'd been in the business for 30 years. He was already very, very successful, well-known. And I got on with his firm and he supported me emotionally and family-wise and spent the time in, in saying, you know, Zenny, you need to finish your university degree and I'm here for you. So if you want to work part-time or if you want to, you know, however many hours you need to work so you can finish school and do that. And so I did that. And then I just stepped right into taking all my financial courses. That's so great. Yeah. And there is a moment where if we hadn't met, I, I'm sure I still would be where I am today, but it would have been a lot longer. And so having that support and every story in my life from beginning of not being able to afford shoes and uh, clothing to stepping into a stepfather that, you know, you're now have enough money for things, paying for university into also a mentorship. Every step along the way has kind of built and stays with me. So when I'm sitting with people in my financial planning, I've been in these situations. There's Mm -hmm. now an empathy and I can Mm -hmm. also help guide through with confidence. And so it's actually quite a lethal um, combination of everything that I've been through. And then also to <laughs> even right down to scanning and being an advisor services, meaning I, I, I know the technicals behind the scenes. I know the in front of people, like it's just, it's really encompassing uh, that our stories can help build our career. I always say this, we have to go through a bunch of things, like things that you would never wish on someone, you know, to have mm-hmm. to go through troubles in their life but we all just seem to have to go through something and uh, that's how we build our character and, and resolve. And I guess in, in your case, motivation, I mean, the girl, uh, two daughters. Yeah. 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 They, two, two daughters. And that is serious motivation. Yeah. yeah. That, 
that that's that's what got me off the kitchen floor really at the end of the day and that's what got me really starting to take control of my finances and and also wanting to be there and educate people and talk to them because my daughters they're now at the age where i think it's important that we need to tell uh, our daughters our sons everybody uh, this is a really complicated world and we have to have a really healthy relationship with our money to move forward and mm-hmm. it's it's kind of been my passion going forward is okay what do my daughters need to to succeed in life what about child support at the time was that uh, something could your ex-husband at least give some money for that yeah. So during that two year separation, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had the documents, we had the breakdown. I knew exactly what I, what I should have been receiving and we never signed anything. And so I also, interestingly enough, right. I have my own story. It just worked out. Okay. But, um, I also during that time hadn't completely protected myself, which I'll tell you, there's a, a, a there's sunshine through the story is that we we ended up getting back together after two years oh and interesting. So it just okay. <laughs> yeah it just happened to work out okay but i really left a risk there because we didn't sign anything but he just happened to as money needed was able to share and during that time uh family we didn't accept um a lot of money from family but i'll tell you it sure allevi- alleviates a lot of stress knowing that you know what if i can't do groceries this week i know um i'm still going to be okay yeah, that's that is good to know. Yeah, and it not very many people have that and so I'm feeling quite blessed that during that time as stressful as things are, you know that worst case scenario you can call a parent and say, "You know what? I need some groceries. Like I like we need to eat. I need to the mortgage payment. If if we had to make a mortgage payment, I knew that mm. I could call someone and, and get an extra 4 or $500 if I needed." So, it, most of it was an emotional fear of scarcity because yeah. at the end of the day, yes, I had to leave groceries at the counter and walk away at Safeway and your debit card gets bounced. And, but there wasn't that fear of where am I going to get my next meal? Cause I always had that to draw, you know, family to draw on and not very many people have that. So I'm very, very lucky. It's nice to have a support system, but yeah, it's not something that is sustainable forever. And, and it's not something that's very good for your self-esteem, I'm sure either. No, and that sure hustled life for me. Um, mm-hmm. I still feel like I'm in a catch-up because, you know, I didn't finish university till, uh my early 30s, and then I didn't start a career really jumping in being successful until after that. And so I do, there's this, and I have to slow down sometimes in life and be a little bit more patient, but I feel like there's this huge catch-up. I, I know the feeling. It, yeah, I started really late. <laughs> yeah, my, my 20s were a complete mess, and so I feel like uh, I started in my 30s, and what did you take in university? Um, I took my arts degree, interestingly enough, in, in humanities. And uh, hmm. it has helped me somewhat and a little bit in writing a book. I'm not saying sure, it. Yeah. Uh, I took a couple of English classes in there and being able to write uh, helped me out that way. But really, in the, in the finance department, it was most definitely all the other designations that I took that helped me through my career. That one was more of a, I started it and I'm going to finish it. I think it was a tribute to my parents, to be honest, to finish that degree because they had started it, they had helped pay for it. And then I just, I stopped to have children. And I remember I'm the first one in my family to have finished university. Okay. So it was, it was a tribute, I think, mostly. I've I've definitely, um, I've decided to stop arguing the the practical benefits of a university degree in terms of <laughs> it's being applicable to whatever it is people do. But I think it builds your 
work ethic and that kind of stuff as well as well so maybe th it doesn't really matter if it's applicable i think just like you said finishing something getting that degree it does look good on paper to those on the outside but do you need it to do your job today likely not right yeah really it's just one of those other life experiences that you can draw from and mm -hmm. maybe you know you learned how to create a thinking pattern and be able to write a paper like i think it's what we what we use in life and our motivation and, and motivation is really strong and so you may or may not have a university degree but if your motivation is high and you're willing to do what you need to do uh, you'll get stuff done so you finished that uh, before you got other licenses and designations for being a, a planner or I, fi I finished that one and then I, I dove right into I got my mutual fund license mm -hmm. um, and then I started taking all my uh, certified financial planning courses and that took a couple of years and I, I also took a certified uh, divorce analyst course during that time and then also a certified cash flow specialist so I was on a mission and I almost wonder if it's like a, a little bit of post-traumatic stress of <laughs> I'll show the world I need as many designations as possible <laughs> right it, like lost time made up and they've all been very very applicable I've been able to use them and I think it's it makes you even more knowledgeable when you can use your life experiences with it as well because there's way more to to it than textbook yes right? being a certified financial planner you can take the textbooks oh, sure. you can take the mutual fund license but until you're actually in there and you're living life and you've got your own experiences and you can create your own patterns and, and processes i think that's just as important as those i always say find somebody that you trust and that you you know that seems to have some kind of knowledge you know life knowledge and then if they have letters fine um, mm -hmm. but it's like the experience and the, the rapport, I think between people and, and the fact that maybe they seem to understand you or, or sympathetic or empathetic, those are much more valuable than, you know, being able to know something that you could probably look up in a book at some point, right. <laughs> and having a license. Yeah. Right? And I've met so many women in my career and through clients that uh, they need more than just that textbook advice. They need more than the charts and graphs. They need yeah. someone there that's willing to uh, make them feel supported and safe and, and build confidence through teaching them, right? And recognizing that human factor of, of what's needed rather than just uh, textbook jargon. And that is really where I think our financial planning uh, industry is moving. I think it, it needs to, we're educators now, we're coaches. Yeah. We're not just letters behind our name now. Exactly. I, I, I do like this uh, divorce, divorce analyst, specialist. What, what was the title? Yeah. Certified divorce uh, financial analyst. So, it's a mouthful. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you got a taste of this during the two year uh, separation. Oh yes. Yes. And that you wanted to be able to help people. Yeah. And, and I can relate too because mm -hmm. there's an emotion going on at the table. And so when you're trying to organize finances for people going through this and when you're trying to put together a very fair, because you have to look at both sides and say, okay, what will work? What won't? What scenarios? Um, who should keep the house? Who shouldn't? For, yeah. First, can you, can you afford to keep the house? Right. And, and you have to look at the finances and I'll tell you, it is overwhelming it doesn't matter how much you know it doesn't matter your education you're going through turmoil and your confidence is shot yeah the last thing 
you want to do is go through this whole package of, well, what are your finances right now? Well, that's enough to not want to get out of bed in the morning. It's like it's stress is multiplied by a million. You know, yeah, people so, have stress with this normally in nor in everyday life. Let's talk about the finances, right? Yeah, exactly. So everybody needs. So this is just another way to be a coach through that process. That's and great. Have having been through it, you need somebody that has that patience sitting across from you. And I've been able to detach. You know, my emotions don't pick up and take me back to that same place. I'm in a very strong place where I can sit and have the patience and not have it affect me. So uh, I'll tell you the first six months to a year of, of doing that was I couldn't detach because mm. I'd come home at the end of the day and I was right back in that spot again, caring, uh, you know, A, for the person across from me, B, bringing back my own memories. And it took a little while to step back from that. Probably every, every incident or every part of it was triggering in some way. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good word. There's a trigger that t that <laughs> the trigger of of being back on that kitchen floor. Yep. It's really hard. Uh, I I can relate in a way that you know talking to uh, other uh, uh, gambling addicts in a group and listening to their stories. It's really hard to not be triggered by their stories emotionally when you're just trying to maybe help. And uh, I mean, the first time that I sat in groups, I was not happy afterwards. I like it. I, I wasn't a positive experience to hear all these stories because I think it just reminded me I was still in the re early recovery phases and feeling guilt and and uh, and shame. They say that time heals. I don't know. There's a whole debate to that one, but you probably felt it took quite a bit of time. Mm -hmm. after before you could that triggering you could put aside you recognize it and then you might be able to just put it aside yeah it's only two years now that i can that i've been talking about my story and so yeah it took it took that long to get to the point where i could talk about it and you know not you know, it'd be really emotional or or just not be able to do it at all and so that you said the first six months to to a year of doing this for yeah, you? was was really hard. It's interesting you say that because uh, the book came out last spring for me, and the book, my book, is where I, I share this story, and it's personal stories. You know, you're sharing family mm -hmm. stories. I'm sharing stories about having been left and not having any money. Not too many people in my profession uh, like to share those in depth stories because we have a facade of of knowing everything and and taking the emotion out of it, and but. I separate. It was in 2005 to 2007 is when my husband and I had separated, and I went through this. And so the, it took me a long time to feel comfortable in sharing this story before I could actually be comfortable. And I think it's because I needed to have confidence that I'm okay. So because there is, there's going to be judgment of, well, you're a certified financial planner. What do you mean? Back then, you didn't even have a bank account, and I'm like, well, there's a journey here, <laughs> and so there's a confidence that needs to be built before I can even talk about it. Yeah, it's funny that you would say that because I published a, a video in January on Bell Let's Talk Day uh, about my, the worst relapse that I ever had, mm. and I'm, I'm getting some comments on YouTube, mostly positive. But one of them was questioning, like, doesn't this uh, sort of hurt your credibility as a, a finance coach? And it's just what you're saying. Like, I think that it makes someone a better coach having gone through it. Like, if you're in it now, maybe not. But if, right now, <laughs> if you're going through it right now, maybe you're distracted. But if you've been through something, it, that's what builds this. Yes, and then you become even more lethal when you when you have the knowledge behind it, right? Absolutely. And, 
um, when you start learning more and then you get your accreditation and you take these courses and then I think it's an actual lethal combination of greatness because it means we've been through it and I'm going to share my journey because we're all learning through stories. I'll, I'll tell you one of the most impactful things I can do is to sit across from someone and just share and relate some stories. Mm -hmm. And then there's all these aha moments and motivation uh, to continue on because we're in an industry boat like finances. It's very intimidating and it brings up a lot of emotions. Oh, I don't have enough. I should have more or I'm not smart or I have questions. I feel stupid. And uh, it's up to us to, to educate and stories are fantastic and personal experience is even stronger that's exactly why i'm doing this podcast and and it's mm -hmm. fun it, it's funny like it doesn't matter you could be you know a rocket scientist or, or, or a doctor or the president of the united states or not this one but uh <laughs> let's move past that and yeah. uh you still can feel stupid about money no matter how smart you may be in other parts of your life. I go to meetings and I still, I have that little moment. Sometimes I feel, you know, you st I still feel like this little kid, this little girl who, you know, doesn't want to put her hands up or doesn't, doesn't feel so smart, but mm. because it's, it's mostly, I, I will say that my industry where I am right now, when I do go to events and I go to learning education seminars, it is mostly men and mostly men in their fifties and sixties. And I still walk in and every once in a while feel like, oh, I'm not smart enough, especially when they start pulling up the graphs and the PE ratios and they're talking, you know, they're, they're pulling up all the formulas and, and doing the acronym talk of a whole other language. And it takes me a moment to catch my breath and I'm like, okay, you got this. And then of course I understand it. All of a sudden it's like, I've, I can speak this language and I get it, but there's that initial really, thought. Really, that's still of, there, right? Even oh, even yes. after all your experience and and uh, you know uh, licenses and designations and stuff, you that's uh, mm -hmm. is it something that just it's yeah it's always there inside of you. Yeah, and it's a confidence factor, and I think hmm. that's also my connection with women is that um, I recognize that, and it's it's a science. I mean, there's a book that I, I the confidence code, and it, it's hmm. it's an actual science that we are wired to have less confidence and we have to build it up and that's one of the things if we can recognize not everybody is feeling 100% confident in this moment uh, we can step back and have some empathy and really start from scratch and then build it up we owe it it's humanity it's about understanding the person across from us and sometimes it's not there in the money world yeah are you saying that uh, there's scientific evidence that we're all wired or just women uh, for less confidence? Well, there's a, there's a study that that book, The Confidence Code, relates to, and it's a study that shows that confirms that women, so as an example, women believe that they're 20% less valuable than men believe they are. Oh, really? So we have oh, a problem. that's terrible, right? yeah. Yes, it is. And it, it's those stats and it's those examples that they show and, and it's the why we're not putting our hands up in the boardrooms right now to ask questions. There's this feeling and lack of confidence. And I think it's a crisis and that's why there's a difference between men and women in the money industry. And, and you're probably seeing this right now, a lot of advertisements. So as a financial advisor, I can go to conferences and some of the topics are how to talk to women about money. And so there's a recognition that uh, because of this 
gap in confidence and the difference in men and women, we have to approach it different. So, for example, one of the examples is that men will want a graph and a chart and just get me down to the rate of return. Show me the numbers. Don't talk to me about anything else. Whereas a woman will say, okay, really, my deep why is, am I just going to be okay? And then you work from backwards to try and educate and show some, you know, some numbers and math. Um, But the the two questions are different. One is what rate of return am I going to get at the end? And then the one question that the woman might ask is, but am I just going to be okay? Hmm. So there's two two views that are happening. And um, I'm seeing this recognized a little bit in the financial industry, but I will also say that I've actually been offended at some of those seminars in the conversation because they're trying to acknowledge it and they're trying to bring some better conversation but there it's it was a little bit offensive as a woman in the crowd and um, we still have some ways to go in helping educate maybe our older advisors that were taught about money differently was it offensive because of the way they were they were presenting it a little bit and it was so you know the questions be like okay so when you're talking to women should we make eye contact should we this and that and it was just Mm. it, it was I felt like saying we're human. Yeah, <laughs> Just yeah. talk to us like you would anybody else at your supper table. That's right. Um, <laughs> but it, it was too worried about technical things. And um, I, I just, I overall, I had brought another woman with me and we both actually just sat there completely uh, stunned that we were having a conversation. Like, how do you talk to women? <laughs> just rolling your eyes constantly. Is it, is it that we should just be changing the whole way that everybody talks about money in the first place and, and not, ju- yeah. not just for women, for, for everybody? Yes. It's just about changing the approach and realizing that money is emotional. So yeah. let's um, add with, you know, with some of the technical part, let's actually start with the emotion first and work our way into educating into the technical part of, of what we need to do. And it's a progress. It's a relationship. It's sitting across from somebody and it, respecting that person across from you and trying not to baffle with bullshit. I don't know if I can say that. Sorry, Bo. You can but, say whatever yeah. you like. <laughs> it's, it's, um, realizing that we don't need to prove ourselves. Let's check our ego um, here. That's it. And let's just, yeah, let's just talk to this person and see what they need. What are their true values? What do they need? And what does money mean to them? And let's start there and have that connection. Then we can start educating and working into all the other parts of, you know, whether it's charts and graphs or um, just be cognizant that this person across from you might learn differently and be in a different place than you. And that is uh, not specific to any gender. That is just humanity. You know, when when someone comes and we talk about and we get this relationship and we're going to invest their money, I actually have a visual in my head that all their money is in this box. It's a gift box and there's hmm. a great big bow on it. And they're passing this over to me very gently. And this is their entire world right here. This is their their past, their present, their future. This is their goals and dreams. And I am now honored to take care of that. And that's a respect. And um, this is going to sound corny, but this is a love that isn't there in our industry. Yeah. And, and, and should be. And, and you're right. It's because all of these men have decided that, you know, that's not what money is supposed to be about. But they're, they're wrong. 
Mm-hmm. And it's all, it's a respect and it's, um, and maybe that comes from a place of I've taken care of myself. I'm very, I'm comfortable and I don't mean just financially. I mean, I, I've gone through this journey, so I know who I am and, and um, I don't need to do uh, things that have ego attached to it to try and prove my worth and self. And I'm also not making bad decisions because I'm also seeing clients that come and I'm taking care of a mess from another financial advisor. And I mean, probably ethically borderline, it's full of all these trailer fees. It's full of deferred sales charges. They've been, you know, moved around into these awful investments. Because it's all about commissions and sales. And it's not about, it's not about taking care of the client at all. It's taking care of them. Yeah, if that had been a family member, a parent or a sibling sitting across from them and they imagined their money in that gift box and what a gift it is to be able to handle it, I I like to think they wouldn't have put them in such horrible investments that were not in the best interest of that person. So this is where we need to change and add, you know, a little bit more heart and love to what we do. Absolutely. So the you you wrote this book. What's the name of the book? The Heart of Your Money. <laughs> yes, which no one should be surprised by that title based on what you just <laughs> said. And and you, did you uh, you wrote this specifically for women? I did. I, I had the I actually had myself in mind from 10 years ago. It was mm, sort of You wrote the it book, for you. Yeah. Yeah, the book that I would have loved to have had when I was of um, course. going through. Yeah. And it's also the book I wanted my daughters to be able to have. And it was then... I put it out to the world because it was also, um, I need to share this with every woman I know so that they feel like they're getting a hug, right? I hear you, you're supported, you're safe, and uh, and it's what they need. Yeah, I mean, I think it was what everybody needs. It's uh, like something like this approach in in your book would make me just help take the stigma away from talking about money too and make it not so scary. Yeah, and it's to know that here's some information and then here's a, a story that you're not alone. So other women have contributed their stories in there of, of other situations. Nice. And then what I've heard is that it's like, oh, this is exactly what I needed, that I'm not the only one that feels this. Because we do, we feel alone. We keep it inside, whether you're male or female. No one wants to admit when they're feeling really crappy about things yeah. and, and need a little extra nudge. Yeah. Yeah, that's why that's why we tell our stories. That's why that's why we uh we try to help others, right? And so mm-hmm. yeah, so the uh the book, where uh, where can we find it? Uh it's on Amazon. You can uh UK, United States Amazon and the Canadian Amazon and it's also on chapters Indigo too. I'm also putting together we're gonna have a we've got a free five day money challenge too as well. That is kind of like a quick little summary of some actions that you can take from the book. We haven't mentioned your the name of your company yet, uh, Astra. Yeah, Astra Financial. It's my mom's a bit of a hippie, so my my middle name is Astra. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So Astra Financial, and it's you, and you have a team. Yeah, I've got a team. I've got a couple of other women that work for me, and um, I, I've done a an amazing job that. Uh, I have a firm that I love, but I've also got this amazing bubble and tribe and, uh, and it's uh, some like-minded people that we're all uh, in this uh, 
educating people and uh, doing things for the right reason. If someone wants to be your client, do they have to be in uh, your province in Saskatchewan? Uh, no, I'm licensed actually in Alberta, BC, Ontario, and I think Manitoba is coming up soon because I've got some clients in Manitoba. And so we do financial planning first. So the first thing to do is is we really just put together a financial strategy before anybody becomes a client. Perfect. And it's that path, yeah, the path and guideline to figure out, okay, why is money important to you? What are your goals and dreams and and um how do we get you to where you want to go? And you can't do that without a financial plan nowadays. You have to have a plan in place. And it's not, you know, it's not this book that's written in stone, but it's a guiding point. And I, I firmly believe in our industry, it's everybody needs to have this plan and strategy before you even know where to invest, before you even invest anything. Yeah, you got to know your relationship with money. That's really mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah. Everyone's yeah, so different. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So let, yeah, let's stop, uh, you know, making all these, uh, uh, people fit into molds uh, that were created a long time ago and, uh, have conversations, right? Yes. Yeah, and read, uh, read your book and you have like, I think I saw some worksheets in there. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We've got some sheets so you can visit the website, um, as well, zenaamundson.ca, or we've got the heart of your money.ca. There's a whole bunch of resources and workshops that we can put together and we've got an e-course as well. Great. And, and astrofinancial.ca.com. Yep. That's right. That's awesome. So thanks so much for coming on the show. This is, it's really good to hear your story. You know, like, like you said, it's all about stories and the more we talk about this the more we talk about our experiences people feel less alone people feel like they can reach out about money and that's that's the most important thing to me i agree building confidence that's our success you got it okay thanks so much and uh hopefully uh we'll get to meet in person someday <laughs> thank you bo <laughs> If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. If you're already a subscriber, thanks so much. I'd love to get your feedback on this episode in my new Facebook group. To find the group, go to Facebook and search for The Personal Finance Show. Once you're approved, you'll be able to interact with me, previous guests of the show, and other fans as well. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Personal Finance Show. Next week... My guest will be my cousin, Cal McWilliam, who is a senior economist at the World Bank, one of the world's largest sources of funding and knowledge for developing countries.